Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best CEOs, founders, and investors to help you scale a business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today's guests are two very special ones. Uh, one is a comeback, uh, Leo Butari, uh, the founder and managing partner at Peer Innovation. Leo, it's awesome to get you back on the show. Thanks so much for, for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, Leo, as you know, is also the author of three uh, amazing books on peer innovation, a concept that we'll discuss uh, later on, on the power of the pe of peers. And we also have, uh, and Leo is joining from, from San Diego, uh, so California, the US. And we also have a, an amazing special guest as well, Chris Zueng, account leader of Adaptive Growth Solutions, uh, joining from Shanghai. Yeah, Please, welcome. thank you, Mike. Yeah, thank you, Mike. Pleasure to be here. It's awesome. So we are today, as you know, uh, I'm in Portugal uh, representing Europe. Leo is representing uh, <laughs> Americas and I'm representing EMEA and Chris is representing uh, Asia Pacific and uh, we are representing the world. <laughs> so we hope that yeah. we are a good representation of the world. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so it really put it that way. Responsibility. Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and yeah, well, let's start with, with quick intros for, for the folks that don't know you uh, yet. Uh, Chris, would you like to, to start? Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Mike. And uh, um, uh, my name is Chris Zhang, and I'm based in Shanghai. And uh, um, for my connection with Leo, it was that uh, I translated and uh, published his book, Peer Innovation, here in China. And of course, it's in Chinese. So now the book has been in the place for two years. And uh, ever since that, me and Mike, me and Leo, we've been yeah working on yes, uh, quite different initiatives related with how to bring the best into the teams and how to leverage the energy and dynamics in the team to the best. That's awesome. And Leo, tell us, re remind the ones who didn't have the pleasure to hear the previous episodes. Please go there and and, and let us know more. Uh, about you? Sure. Well, as you mentioned, I'm a founder and managing partner of Peer Innovation LLC. And basically, what I do is take what CEO peer advisory groups are doing so brilliantly in terms of how they help one another and taking those principles and helping companies apply them to their teams uh, to really just drive higher performance. So um, that's a lot of the work I do. I do both with groups um, and teams. Um, I'm also an adjunct professor professor for Rutgers University of um, uh, opinion columnist and um, external advisory board member for uh, CEO World Magazine and just, um, you know, happy to be hanging out with you guys. Sounds awesome. So, and maybe let's, let's start here. So there, there is a, a topic that the three of us are very passionate about, which is building high-performing teams especially in the world that we are becoming more and more global, that we need to be able to uh, speak different languages, mean different cultures, and be able to, you know, leverage that diversity in order to bring more innovation and um, go further in terms of our vision, in terms of our execution. So uh, how does, and maybe here, Leo, I would still get you on, on, on the call to... Um, to explain a bit more uh, how the power of 
you know, peer groups can help us to build high performing teams and how, you know, having the right peers around us is also able to drive innovation. And that's why we have this concept of, of peer innovation. So if, if we can, if you can unblock us all this peer innovation and all those principles for us, it would be great. Sure. So I, I think very simply, we learn better and we do better when we do it together, right? So just what CEO peer advisory groups do is they come together because they recognize that they are kind of alone, you know, in terms of leading their organization. Oftentimes they don't have people to talk to about the challenges they face and what's going on. Sometimes it's not something they want to share necessarily with their employees or bring home or always share with their board of directors. So to have a group of trusted advisors that they can work with, um, you know, becomes really powerful. And, you know, again, because we learn better when we learn together and, and, you know, we, and we've all experienced this. I mean, everyone, anyone who's ever been in a book club, for example, knows that if you bring three, four five people together who've read the same book and you talk about it with one another, you're going to get insights into that content that you'll never get alone. And so when people come together, whether it's in a group or a team, and they start sharing their perspectives on any given challenge or opportunity or anything like that, they get a lot more out of it than they would ever get if they were had to go it alone. So, you know, this is where this is why we have teams because everybody brings different skill sets to the table. It's and the more we can listen to one another, appreciate uh, each other's gifts. And, you know, I think work together and truly be collaborative. There's some amazing things that that happen and, and it happens in peer groups. It happens in teams all the time. And, you know, it becomes, you know, I think essential to be thinking about how can we make our teams better? Because they can always get better. In fact, the teams that I work with, it's the higher performing teams that tend to see even greater opportunities for themselves to grow. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I think that when we get to to that moment when we are able to design together the vision that we want to achieve and and we are all on the same page, we we, we definitely start seeing execution and going faster, uh, moving for, moving forward and everyone excited about the progress and celebrating the wins and and also don't don't having don't feeling so much the pain of the of the lesson learned of, of the defeat uh, in a more <laughs> negative world. <laughs> so, and I think that we see people enthusiastic about, oh, we didn't find a way this time to crack this market or to open or to launch this new product or to go to market, uh, wherever it is, what, what is the strategic initiative? Um, but but definitely we, we see a team that has a positive environment, a positive culture to, to move forward. And Chris, I know that you are very passionate about a, a concept called transcultural leadership. Um, tell us a bit more yeah. about what is this all about? Uh, okay, yeah. Thank you, Mike. And as we might know that um, 100% of Fortune 500 companies and 100% of the top 100 local Chinese companies, they have overseas business or overseas stakeholders, suppliers, customers. And to work with this whole bunch of the people across the border, I mean, not really the geographical border, but also the cultural border, sometimes can cause a little bit challenge during the communication, during the collaboration. So this is 
something that we might leverage peer innovation out of the whole context that we can be able to yeah, learn from each other and also to understand more from each other and to each other. I think this is way more interesting. And oftentimes we see the top of the iceberg, which might be low quality, same, same product, but lower quality in different countries. Same type of uh, construction, but sometimes they have flaws from here and there outside the border. But sometimes people's feedback, the client's feedback can be very different on one kind of the service from different countries. But these are, are all the tips of the iceberg. Deep down, there might be something related with this transcultural leadership challenge. I love it. And I, you were just talking about it. And I was thinking that, for instance, I have a lot of exposure to doing workshops across Southeast Asia. And um, it, when you ask something in, in uh, I would not like to generalize, but in some of those countries, um, and you want an answer of yes or no, uh, especially getting feedback on on how did how did, did it go? Did you enjoy? What can I improve? So it's 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 very rude if you if you share you know yeah, direct feedback about all yeah. how I could it improve happens. my workshop. So so of course if well, I ask, <laughs> you will always say, yeah, it was amazing, it was fantastic, <laughs> and nobody will tell, especially in public, right? Nobody will tell me what I need to yeah. improve. This is not correct. If you ask this, maybe again, it depends from state to state. Leo, correct? Uh, in in the US, uh, I might have, and especially in maybe in in New York, I will have a much more direct feedback about how did it go, what I could have improved it in terms of my of my performance, right? Um, I would say the same in in Southern European uh, countries compared to the Northern European uh, ones. So. So what what is acceptable from a social um, perspective is very different from from region to region, right? So and we need to be able to navigate there when we are having more and more members of the team, especially when they are also joining remotely nowadays, right? And uh, we don't have yeah, all of right. them in the same uh, office. Right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, talking about that, Mike, uh, this just reminds me one of the cases uh, our team, uh, Adaptive Group Solutions, we've been working on. Um, there is this uh, customer, it's a big private equity firm. They have their offices both in London and Hong Kong. So there is this lady working in the Hong Kong office, doing all the presentation to their London colleagues. But oftentimes people just raise their hand, ask more details. So this lady got deeply challenged and he's got his assumption that maybe my English is still not that good. <laughs> In one of the workshops, we've been over there, we asked them this question and tried to ask them to do a little bit of the mirroring, which is like you look at the mirror, see yourself. Yeah. It turned out that on the other side of the table, people from the London office just would like to have more information. So th this is some kind of, I, can, I cannot say which is right or which is wrong. Sometimes we have to just drop off the judgment sometimes. Yeah. Judgment it's... over others and to ourselves. Right. And and same I feel so when when someone is 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 sharing direct feedback in some cultures, it is a huge sign of respect, right? So I care about you. I want to share feedback with you because I know you are great and you can even right. get greater right so i i want to invest i want to share my feedback and i hope it is useful 
uh, to you. Other coaches will say, oh, why are you sharing feedback with me? I, I, did, I didn't ask anything. So what is going on? You, you are making me lose my face in front of my peers. So That's I would right. prefer yeah. to have this conversation one-on-one. -on -one. Please don't have this conversation in, in a group setting. Uh, and and this connects with with a book that I that I love and um, bring Leah to the conversation as well, which is the the five dysfunctions of a team from Patrick Lencioni, writes uh, about the first ingredient uh, in the positive or in the negative trust or lack of trust. Right? Uh, how can we create those environments where where teams can thrive? Um, and I know that you have a, a set of of principles to make those peer groups. Uh, work and and uh, how to build those uh, more cohesive, uh, high-performing teams. So, so two things. Um, one, I want to mention that your the kind of cross-cultural feedback stuff you were talking about earlier reminds me of a scene. I think we talked about it one time from Ted Lasso, uh, Apple TV, right? And there's all these players that are around, and one of the players um, says something very direct to the other and and all the players start getting like looking like really worried and someone says oh he's not being rude he's just being dutch and then they all go okay <laughs> that was fine you know <laughs> but they kind of understood that there was a whole different you know um context but evaluation and how feedback is is dealt with in that country versus elsewhere but um no i think you know when you talk about trust in in the five dysfunctions of a team if you read Lencioni's definition of trust in that book, it is the definition of psychological safety, right? It's that ability to be open and vulnerable with others. And one of the things that I try to do in groups is to get people to very, very, very intentional about that. Because, you know, all of us don't come not only from a cultural standpoint, but even as human beings, you know, some of us just by nature are very open. We'll tell our life story to anyone who will listen. You know, there are there are others who just are more private by nature and a little, you know, keep things a little closer to the best. So it's a matter of trying to get people to connect with the purpose of the group. Why are we here? What are we here to do for one another? Which hopefully fuels a mindset of saying, you know what, if we're here to do this, then I need to be all in. I need to do my very best at being open. And part of that is having people feel a sense of belonging in the group um, where they can truly over time, especially bond with one another. These groups also have an absolute agreement that what happens in the room stays there. The confidentiality is sacrosanct and it provides that safety to know that whatever conversation we're going to have here, it stays here. It doesn't go elsewhere. We're not going to be talking about one another uh, afterwards. We also talk about the more prepared you are for a meeting, the more likely you will actively participate. The more practiced that you get at this, the easier this starts to become. The more when you see someone else in the group model really great sharing behaviors, right? And you watch how the group leans into that person's challenge and how much that person and very likely several other people benefit from that conversation as well. That kind of gives everyone else that tacit permission that it's okay for me to do it as well next time I have something that I want to speak to the group about. Um, and just a few other things, you know, uh, listening behaviors start to be really important. 
you can lose psychological safety fast if it looks like only half the people in the room are paying attention to something that you're trying to share that is really meaningful for you. Um, but And last but not least, you know, as human beings, I think no matter where um, we grow up and where we live, uh, we tend to gravitate to things that work. If If it's going to be effective, even if I don't love the idea that, about opening up and sharing. If I know that on the other side of that is something that's truly going to benefit me and benefit others, then I'll be far more likely to kind of take the plunge, if you will, and do that. Right. Sounds great. A, a lot to reflect uh, here. And this is all about great leadership, world-class leadership. How, how do we create those conditions and how... How do we bring a team that is really complementary and that is um, that has the conditions to to be to set to be set up to, to for success instead of sometimes we um, when we have a toxic leadership we are almost uh, seeing uh, or almost proving why the person will not be the right fit for uh, for the seat and it's sometimes it's not only the leader it's also the the peers that are in the in the team and we see that there is something dysfunctional uh, about about that culture um chris uh, how, what what do you like to add to that on how to practice this transcultural uh leadership how, how to make it grow uh, how to how to prepare our mindset as leaders to to be able to navigate these transcultural waters let's say yeah, um, just like we just mentioned about uh, no judgment and to others and uh, to ourselves. And there is another very important point to share about this transcultural leadership, which is difference is difference, which sounds like a little bit cliche. I know that, but it is true. Difference is difference. People got to understand that. There is parallel world anywhere else in our lives that people do things that is different they can also nail things make things happen and make their own success but totally in their own way we got to see that happen uh, we have um, like uh, another customer which is an industrial giant fortune 500 they send engineers from china all the place all everywhere to the southeast asia countries but they receive a lot of negative feedbacks from the from the collaboration on site, which is the installation and the construction engineering stuff. So we're just thinking a little bit more, understand that they have a lot of challenges culturally instead of technically, because they are all, yes, well professional, yes, well seasoned professionals in engineering. The thing is that here in China, most of us, we are right-handed. So it's very common for us to, to yeah, wrap up things with right hand and hand it over with your left hand, which is a, is a great offense in Southeast Asian countries because they believe this is very impolite. Mm -hmm. So things just like that, because people just think things can be very different. We, right. In our culture, in this culture, we tend to hand over things with two hands instead of right hand. But in their culture, they prefer you use your right hand instead of your left hand. So this yeah. just things can be done yeah. in the same manner, but just totally with different methodology. So we're gonna have to understand difference is difference. Yeah, and and uh, how do you see in in terms of your 
of in terms of the Chinese approach or the Chinese culture, what has been the acceptance to this concept of of peer groups, right? So peer groups is something that they are also not so usual, even in Europe, I would say the UK is much more common. Uh, and in the US, it's even much more developed, uh, this concept. And how do you see the acceptance and also the content of, of the book of Liu? Uh, what, what has been the reaction that you see uh, coming from China? Um, I can say that peer group in China has been uh, growing like very fast. Um, ever since, uh, Ever since the very first brand of peer advisory business entered China around 2010, so it has been a, I can say a well-seasoned business already, and which adopt all the standard, and all the protocol of yes, what is going on in in United States psychological safety, and people can talk to each other and people can be open to each other. What happens here stays here. What, what is talked about here stays here. And also people challenge each other in a caring way and also share their insight and different perspectives committed to help each other to be the best. So I can say that stays the same. But of course there are yeah, a lot of the copycats in the marketplace, but we can just, yeah, they're not right. in the top. Yeah, right. they're not in the discussion. But did, did you feel any kind of resistance or any kind of cultural shift or... Because, of course, inside the same culture, as we were saying, each of us might be raised in a specific culture, but we might be developing a different culture ourselves, right? Yeah, Because that's we right. think in a yeah, different yeah. way. Uh, and we have a different set of beliefs, a different set of principles, right? So, uh, but taking, uh, do you think that those people that are kind of embracing the power of peers, the power of peer groups in China uh, are kind of, outliers in terms of the Chinese culture or do you think it's becoming the the average uh, that is embracing more and more the power of peers? Well, I think that's a great question. Um, I can say at the beginning, people are not that much opened up with this idea and uh, they have a very strong, um, let's say, a self-defense immunity system in place. They say, okay, so what happens in my business stays with myself it happens a lot it happens a lot and but uh, after i think not very long time people understand that the perspectives and uh, input from uh, peers which who are committed to your success they're also very valuable and you cannot get it from anywhere else um i still remember uh, there is this one scenario happened in one of the meetings. Uh, I'm not going to mention which meeting, uh, which group, mm -hmm. but so uh, there was this coach asked the members to write down something they would like to share on their eulogy. So this is quite oh, challenging culturally. Mm -hmm. Yes, in this part of the world. And some of the yeah members, they say, okay, uh, I'm not going to write it because I, I just can't face it. It's just too hard. And this coach somehow just crafted a little bit of this question. He's like, okay, just suppose that in your dream, you are going to the other side of the heaven palace. So that's a little bit superstitious story in our culture. So what are you going to say to the headmaster of that part of the world? That's quite interesting. So people somehow just start to 
yes, to 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 get opened up and start to yes speak up about what they're trying to yeah, um, uh, to talk about a legacy, to talk about uh, yeah what what is uh, left behind, and to talk about their whole life, to talk about way more than that. I think it just somehow you need to be a very very delicate in in crafting all these questions and scenarios. Otherwise, they will just ruin the dynamics instantly. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of this goes back, though, to, you know, Chris, this idea of difference is difference, I think, is really at the heart of this in so many respects, right? Because we are, I, I can tell you, oftentimes um, in the U.S., people are brought up with this idea that in social situations, never get into conversations about religion and politics. Okay. <laughs> so, you are hardwired to believe that those topics are just fodder for a fight, right? That people are going to, you know, do this. Yeah. You know, with the unfortunate part is that if we actually could have those conversations, if people were more willing to engage in those conversations socially and recognize that it isn't about, it's not threatening to me. It's not, you know, I don't have to be defensive. I don't have to, I would just love to learn, you know, for example, with someone about religion, how does faith play a role in your life? What does that look like to you? It's just so I understand it better, not so that I'm trying to judge it against my own or how I was brought up or anything like that. Same holds true with people's political beliefs and where they come from and how they're shaped as we grow up. If if we were able to have, and, and now, unfortunately, that range of conversations that we kind of can't have, if you will, has gotten larger. And now we're not asking questions. We're not leaning into these differences that are that are wonderful, you know. For you know, just the things that you know, both of you have shared, and what I've learned just in in you know the past several minutes talking with you all is like, you know, I feel like we we could go at this for hours because we could ask each other questions about things that I think would be so extraordinary. And when you get good groups and great teams. What they really learn how to do is ask each other questions and do so from a place of true inquiry, not because they're trying to, you know, show somebody up or test someone or anything like that. Kind of to your point uh, in the example uh, that you brought up, Chris. So, yeah, um, I think if we embraced our differences, didn't judge, didn't make assumptions, didn't jump to conclusions, but we're truly open in a way that we may not agree ultimately that's okay right but but just to understand uh, and and what a different world this would be if we were just just better at asking questions and truly open to learning as opposed to you know judging and you know creating you know you know divisive uh, situations and that's why one of uh, I, I like this topic of transcultural uh, leadership combined with with peer groups, because I I think that's the we know how hard it is to to align a team and to keep everyone on the same page, especially doing this this effort because everyone is looking to the same reality from a different angle, and this is amazing. This is a huge benefit. But then we 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 think about it in as a an attack because the other person is not thinking the way I'm thinking or they don't understand me. They don't get what I'm thinking about, what I'm trying to say, right? But but we are also not trying to understand what the other person is trying to, to tell us. And just going around and saying, you know what? The best VPs in my perspective are the ones who are able to think as CEOs, right? 
who are able to think about the company as a whole, but they prefer because they are so passionate about their function, they prefer to to stay as leaders in, in, uh, of those functions. But they they give you permission to have a conversation about marketing, to have a conversation about sales, to have a conversation about customer success, product, engineering, finance, people, right? And and then we start. Okay, so what are the top three priorities, or what is our vision in the long, mid, and short term? for us as a leadership team. So if we would be the CEO, what would be our priorities for the long, mid and short term? And then, okay, knowing that those are the priorities for the company, so what should be our priority? If I was the CMO, what would be my priorities? And this is an amazing exercise for just for the marketing leader to listen, what is the feedback from the entire group if I was the CMO? If I was the CRO or the chief revenue officer, what would be my feedback? And then people start talking the same language and understanding where people are coming from, that we are all there trying to support each other to get to, to the same goal because there is no clue if one of us is successful and the team is not successful because I don't care if Martin is producing all the leads but sales is not converting. I don't care if we have the best product in the world and congrats to the product guys, but we are not selling at all. I don't care if we have the best people in the company, but we are not able to, to uh, the best individuals, but we are not able to play uh, as a team. So we are all winning or we are all uh, learning, right? So so I, I like to see team results as a consequence of, or individual results as a consequence of team results. So, so and it completely changes the, the narrative. And, and in that sense, I think it's a, a great exercise also in terms of the different cultures and the different approaches that we have in the room. And then we turn um, an enemy into an opportunity, into a, 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 an advantage to, um, to support each other. Okay, cool. There was a, a great conversation that we were having recently uh, as a team uh, about the power of AI. So, so maybe in the in the future, we we will not need anymore to have authentic leaders. We we, we just plug in a, a AI leader and <laughs> we make things work. Uh, I know Leo that you you had a, the the inspiration and and the great job of putting together an article about it on uh, CEO World magazine, where you uh, mentioned that that story and that conversation, and you also uh, mentioned us in the article. So thank you. Um, uh, would you like to share with our audience what we were talking about, the impact of AI in, in kind of high quality leadership, uh, high performing teams? What is the role of AI as, as a tool? Um, yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, and, and I think it actually goes back to what we were talking about earlier about the ability to ask questions. AI, at least right now, for how a lot of people use it, depends on the quality of the question that we ask it. So, and, and it isn't a question of us competing with AI more, it is partnering uh, with AI and recognizing some of what, um, you know, it can provide. But at least at the moment, um, you know, the, the, the human touch, the human edit, the, the human, um, you know, component of partnering with AI is necessary to, you know, the quality of what, you know, we're doing. Um, you know, I'd, I think the article you're speaking of, and I've done a few of them, uh, one of them where I literally asked AI to articulate the value proposition of peer innovation. 
And what I was expecting was that it would, you know, basically pull quotes or things like that and assemble some type of a narrative. And yet it, it was completely independent of anything. There wasn't one clause in this rec in this description of peer innovation that resembled anything I've ever written about it. And yet it was really nicely done. Um, and, you know, with a little edit here or there or whatever, boom, then I have a whole new expression of my value proposition that I wouldn't have had otherwise. But I think the most recent article you're speaking about is one where I asked, hey, when it comes to kind of today's leaders, what do, what do they really need to be good at? What do they need to know? And I got some really great kind of general pieces like emotional intelligence and agile leadership, mm -hmm. sustainability and things like that. But I think there are other aspects of that where I provided an additional seven or so um, items that, you know, I, I think were adjacent to what they were talking about, but I thought it gave something a little more tangible for people to work with. So, uh, you know, um, people talk a lot about the nefarious, you know, ways that AI could will be problematic for us. And I think that's, you know, always unfortunate that people will abuse something like that. But I think for those of us who, you know, try to embrace it, try to, you know, do our best to, to understand how to work with it, you know, I think there's a lot of potential. It's really powerful. Yeah. And I think that there is a specific article where we talk that, you know, AI again is a tool. And but what will keep uh, differentiating ourselves? It will keep being, you know, leadership teams, uh, because it's it's really, yes. really, really difficult to copycat the dynamics of a team, uh, to copycat the 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 creative the human creativity um, and uh, and in that sense and I think there is another sentence for for from one of those books that that we all appreciate which is if if we are able you know to have um, an aligned team all focused on the same vision um, we are kind of ninety percent ahead of uh, of all the rest, of the, all the all the other players in in the marketplace, right? So, this is such a, a science and the art. And we were talking also today about the science component. So, what are the ingredients that we need to enforce or establish or uh, cultivate in order to be able to build those high performing teams? But then execution, uh, there is also the, the the art component, right? Which is the, the experience of the leader, the, the the right timing, the the personalities of the team, if they are complementary or not. I, I like to think about leadership as a combination of art and science, right? So we discussed it a lot today about science, right? So, but but also, and I think that the three of us respect that there is an art component and an element that we can control, right? And, and and that's the beauty of leadership and that's the vulnerability and also accepting that we don't know uh, everything. Chris, anything that you'd like to to add on on on, on that direction in terms of, uh, of, of leadership or different cultures, uh, et cetera? Yes, yes, absolutely, Mike. And uh, I have this, um, I have this analogy, analog about AI. Yeah. So being yes, sharing the, with this with uh, a lot of friends in different occasions. Uh, it's fifty thousand years ago. There is a pack of wolf just passing by a cave. So there is this little one decide to stay a little bit longer at the entrance of the cave. So he sees 
fire, he sees food, and he sees Homo erectus, which is us. But the whole pack asked him to come along because when winter comes, the whole pack arrives and the lone wolf dies. But this little one decided to stay along with the Homo erectus, which is us, and uh, somehow we became the best friends ever. So human being can never compete with dog in sniffing. We can never compete with them in running. But somehow with their help and with some of or say mutual dynamics, we can keep them under leash or in control. I'm not sure if that, if that is the right term, or maybe we can just work with them and to a better and a very different future. So I think this is AI at this stage. So we need to have regulation and somehow a little bit more creativity with that so that AI can be a very good friend. Maybe after 1000 years, if human beings still in place, they will be talking about the same story. By the way, this is storytelling. Love it. Amazing. Well, you know, and now, of course, I'm I'm recalling, and this was a conversation the three of us had before when we yeah. were talking about AI as a tool and the way right. that if you gave a, a group of people a soccer ball, right, and you gave right. it to three or four different teams, that's right. Somebody's going to be really good at it, and someone's going to be really bad at it. <laughs> so it still <laughs> matters how yeah. the team employs, you know, that, and and I think that that's that's very, you know, at least at this stage of things. Um, yeah, good way to think about it. Yeah, I just wanted to go quickly through the the three books that you wrote, uh, Leo. So the first one was The Power of Peers, and uh, some maybe months later, we we got to know each other, which which has been uh, uh, amazing, and it's it's great to to have you as a friend, and uh, uh, an amazing friend, and and then. You evolved to the second book, where I already had the pleasure of uh, seeing the the preview and and also make my comments, which was I always have uh, an issue uh, saying the the title of that name. What what anyone what what is the the title of what the, anyone can do? What anyone can do. I, I was almost there. <laughs> I need to trust my instincts. <laughs> and 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 finally, the third it was peer innovation. So. What has been the evolution of of the free book? So, what what did you want to you know what what was what were the lessons? And, and by the way, how many years did you did you have since the publishment of the first book to to the last one? So, the first book, The Power of Peers, was published in March of twenty sixteen. Uh, the second book, um, What Anyone Can Do, is part um, published in October of twenty eighteen, and the um, third book, Peer Innovation, was roughly October or so of 2020. So pretty much every two years. I've been slacking off now. I haven't written anything since, you know, right. but so the, the, the idea. 24. Very, <laughs> Next one. <laughs> but but really quickly, The Power of Peers was written just to have a narrative which basically showed people how and why peer advisory groups for CEO and CEOs and business leaders can be so powerful. Uh, the second book actually looked beyond those formal peer groups and made the, you know, the case that, you know, if we just as individuals did a better job of enlisting, engaging the support of others, right? If we didn't see asking for help as a sign of weakness, we re regarded it as an act of resourcefulness that we would all benefit, right? So that if I have a certain aspiration or a certain goal, 
that I'm going to pull together people that could be really helpful to me in achieving that goal. And I would do the same for them. And the more that we do that, the better and more successful we can be. And the title basically refers to this idea that most people, they're not successful because they're capable of superhuman feats. They don't leap tall buildings in a single bound or anything. Typically, they do the things that anyone can do that most of us left to our own devices never will. So, you know, enlist and engage the support of others and it'll help you. Then the third book, of course, was the models and frameworks that were developed in The Power of Peers. I've done now well over 500 workshops with groups and, um, you know, teams or companies and all of that. And obviously those models will evolve over time because you learn a lot from, you know, those type of engagements. So what I basically did was put together a book which showed the evolution of the models, which talked about some of the prevailing challenges that groups, you know, and teams have and talked about some of those. But then, um, you know, finally, the idea was to show much more specifically how to take what peer groups do so brilliantly, how to bring it into the team in your company. So that's really kind of where that kind of it didn't start out with the intent of a trilogy. But there we go. It kind of has turned out that way. Yeah, we are expecting for we are expecting the fourth book, and we can't wait for that. So that's a good yeah, challenge too, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Maybe, maybe it'll be on celebration, and then I'll celebrate the fact that it's over when, uh, when, <laughs> when it's finished. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I was offered uh, a copy of uh, a translated version of Power Pierce, uh, two thousand seventeen, and after, ever after that, this book ha has been uh, with me. All the time uh, during my business trips, or uh, yeah, sometimes uh, sometimes it will be the bedtime reading, and very powerful and uh, it somehow just um, kindled the light, kindled the fire in my heart to start this journey. So with that, thank you very much, Leo. I thought you just read it at night because it helped you go to sleep. <laughs> oh yeah, you just absolutely. Read a couple yeah. pages and boom, you're out. <laughs> <laughs> not really not really but yeah it's a little bit like uh, that late here it's almost yes 10 p.m <laughs> i'm not sure if you yeah right. yeah I, different I dynamics that's... with technology everything that is possible now i think that what uh, uh, i and chris are saying is that uh, we would stay here for hours but i think a, a good resource to go get to know more about how to build our performing teams would be to to read the free books that that leo has uh, written for us and uh, and go deeper into uh, the way of of building uh, high performing teams for you and to improve you as a leader as well. So guys, I have a challenge for you. We always close the show with uh, a set of six quick questions, but I I would go to the most important one. Uh, Leo has been through those questions, I believe, last time. Not sure if when you joined, we we already have this sequence, but I will just ask one, which is my favorite one. Which, 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 which is, if you would have the opportunity, and let's go to a very personal uh, place here, <laughs> challenging the culture, <laughs> So, which is, if you would have the opportunity to have a coffee or a tea uh, with your younger self, uh, what advice would you offer to your uh, younger Chris and, and Leo? And maybe, Chris, we, we can start with you. All right, so if I can have a cup of coffee with a younger version of Chris, I would just say, um, follow your heart and always follow your heart. 
that's that's profound. Uh, would you like to elaborate a bit more? Why is it so important for you? Um, uh, I can just share a little bit more about my uh, personal growth uh, yeah. down this road, and uh, um, I've been uh, I've been I graduated for almost like twenty two years. So ever after that, I've worked for um in many uh, environments, uh, different business, um, in different culture across the border, uh, different industry, just so much. But at, the, at at certain point, I think maybe it's just uh, 2017 when I was offered the book, Power of Peers. I understand that it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what business you are in or what industry or what kind of function. The only thing that matters is people. It's nothing else but people. And we got have to really spend more energy, more time, and more wisdom, and more humanity on that. Yeah. That will make a whole lot of difference. Yeah. I love it. I love this, the, the quote from Jim Rohn that always follows me. You are the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. So choose wisely, right? So what are your associations? Uh, because probably you will become uh, the people that you spend the most time with, the, their thoughts, their habits. The, yeah. And Leo, so what about you? If you would have the opportunity to have the coffee with that young, uh, you know, uh, with a lot of hopes and dreams, uh, uh, ahead of you at that time and you keep having of course today uh, what advice would you offer to you that young Leo well first of all I want to say that Chris's younger self would be too young to drink coffee I think would be <laughs> one of the things I would say about that that's true um, but, but for me um, um, I would have definitely embraced the idea of reaching out um, to my peers much earlier in my life um, there's no question about that. Um, you know, growing up, you know, when I did, it was very much about asking for help was regarded as a sign of weakness. Asking for help or reaching out to others was something that meant you couldn't handle it on your own or something like that. And when I ended up going from a situation in school where you're, you know, just in a, in a, learning was a solo pursuit. You know, you've got the professor or the teacher there, you're taking notes, you're passing in tests or papers, and you're shielding your paper from your neighbor next because you can't copy off each other because you're supposed to you know, know this stuff. Um, and to move into an environment where it was a collaborative learning session, which I didn't do until much later in life in graduate school, um, opened a whole world to me about how powerful collaborative learning is um and you know i've told you guys this before collaborative learning would have been called cheating you know when i was when i was younger so <laughs> so i would have told my younger self reach out to others ask a lot of questions and um yeah and you can really go far in this world and i think to echo chris's point it's it really is about people and being here and helping one another um be successful Leo Butari, Chris, Zhuang, a uh, pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for so much for making the time. It was a pleasure to, to have this conversation with you. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Yeah. And to our community, thanks for being there. We keep bringing you the best of the best to make your life a little bit easier as you scale up your company. See you soon and keep scaling.